Welcome to the sixth episode of the Disney Cruise Line blog podcast. Today we're going to talk about cruise planning, but first we have a little bit of news. Just after recording last week's news segment for the podcast, the CDC updated their outbreak report for the Disney Wonder, confirming norovirus was the causative agent, which resulted in 131 passengers and 14 crew members becoming ill during the voyage. On Wednesday... The Disney Magic made history during her first leg of the 2015 14-night eastbound transatlantic cruise by becoming the first Disney cruise line ship to visit Boston, Massachusetts. A number of Bostonians were on hand to get a glimpse of her in port. We collected some photos and a few videos over on the website from those who were posting throughout the day on Twitter. Our final news item of the week is that after, well, let's just say three, four years of avoidance, we have listened to guest feedback and joined Facebook. Hopefully, we should be easy to find. It's at facebook.com forward slash Disney Cruise Line blog. Now, on to the show. This week, we're going to talk about preparing for your cruise. I guess the first thing to prepare for a cruise is actually picking the cruise. Yes, this is very important. I agree. Mm-hmm. Scott, do you want to talk about how this usually goes down in our family? Yes. Hey, Scott. <laughs> I booked a cruise today. Awesome. Because Scott never books a cruise. Oh, goodness. He's very... He's true. He's right. He's correct about this. So... In the the Sanders family, we have our we had or have our typical kind of cruising dates. We used to cruise over spring break, um, and then Disney Cruise Line prices became prohibited prohibitive of that. So we started booking a cruise over um, the February day where the kids get off for the rodeo. So. That way we don't have to miss more than, Isabel doesn't have to miss more than a day of, of school. And we typically take a cruise in the summer and then we often take a cruise in the fall. So usually the one that's kind of the wild card is the cruise in the summertime. So, you know, we used to go between kind of Eastern and Western Caribbean. Last year we went out on a... Um, limb so to speak and went to Norway and Iceland next year we're going to Alaska Um, we've also done non-Disney cruises for summer vacations and most recently two years ago we went to St. John U.S. Virgin Island for 10 nights and this is where I say Disney Cruise Line did its uh, due diligence by taking you and giving you a piece of a destination so that you can then go back and revisit it. And we decided that as a family, we really wanted to go back and visit it. So this year we didn't have anything booked. We, you know, due to the, we didn't want to have to go anywhere we had to fly. And so we just thought we'd play it by ear. Well, Scott has an awesome post every Monday on the blog, which I follow funny uh, being his wife and I get the emails so every Monday he does the special offers 
and I was kind of following along to to the Florida resident rates, and not surprising um, were, were the fact that the fantasy cruises for the summer had started to pop up, both Eastern and Western, starting in May. And so went back and forth, uh, you know, we're at the time hoping for the fantasy cruise uh, leaving July 2nd because I do like to go on vacation over the 4th of July. It's one less vacation day we have to take because we have to take that day off anyway. Uh, and it, it, it didn't show up, so kind of worked with um, my travel agent, and we we booked the, or I should say I, I booked the a cruise on the Fantasy, an Eastern on the Fantasy for June. So the funny thing about that is, is that I, I did that without saying anything to Scott. I just did it from work one day. So came home and we talked about it after dinner. So the first thing, certainly in preparing for your cruise, is actually booking for your cruise. Now, being that when we booked it, we booked it um, and had to pay in full within 24, 48 hours, I can't remember. Scott, there are different booking dates, uh, you know, for paying in full. I mean, you have to, I know for Europe it's longer. Um, you know, you have to be paid in full at a certain time. And then if you want to check in for your castaway club status, it's even before that. Is that, that's correct, right, Scott? Yes. There are dates online that to allow this podcast to not be inaccurate at some point, we'll just say go based on the dates on Disney Cruise Line's website for when you need to check on, check in by and all that stuff for specific itineraries, embarkation locations and all that good stuff. I think if I remember back, you have to be paid in full by, I think, 75 days or something. But if you want to book anything in your um, gold or platinum, um, you have to go ahead and book beforehand. I'm sorry, you have to pay beforehand. Um, you know, so for those of us that are platinum, we have to be our paid in full by 120 days out from sailing so that we can do our online check-in. So... I'm using this as an example because this is the latest cruise that I booked. Um, and I say I booked because Scott. I had no idea. <laughs> I was told I was going to Apollo brunch for Father's Day. Scott has also never booked a cruise. So in all of the cruises that we've done, they've all been in my name and, you know, Shh. me taken care of. So don't tell them that. So that's the first thing, right, Scott, when you're. Preparing for a Disney cruise, you you have to actually find the date, find what works for you, and go from there. Correct? Yes. And one Do you want to talk thing, about picking a cruise? One other thing I'm going to add just really quick is that we are typically the folks that do book on opening day. Um, it's very often, well, it has been for the past, probably five years we've booked on the ship um, either dummy date. Now you can book the, you can buy the voucher and transfer to the date that you're looking for so that those onboard booking benefits go into effect. But we usually book on the first day. So this is actually pretty close to my 
our very first experience with booking fairly close to sailing out at a you know reduced rate. I mean, we have had Florida resident rates before, but um, this was this was kind of cool. Scott, anything uh, that you want to mention or add about that? No, but I, I guess if you're looking, there's a couple different ways I guess you could pick a cruise. I mean, if you're fixed on dates, then obviously you're going to limit it, limit yourself to, you know, embarkation dates in terms of which itineraries you might go on. Or if you're flexible in your dates, you have your pick of which itinerary, uh, as long as that kind of fits into your bud- your uh, travel budget. You know, there's. I mean, a good example of this is for us being a, in Florida, our spring break typically falls the second week of March, and it's always an Eastern on the fantasy, right, Scott? I mean, if we want to go... I believe it has always been an Eastern. It's an Eastern on the fantasy, exactly. Now, certainly there's, you know, the dream three and four nights, there's whatever the Magic and Wonder are doing, but, you know, two years in a row we booked the fantasy, and it was Eastern on the fantasy. That's just what week our spring break fell, and in what week that the fantasy was doing an Eastern. Any given week you can do a, a three or four night or an Eastern or a Western Caribbean cruise. So Isabel, when, um, when we're, well, we're talking about preparing for our Disney cruise and we're talking about booking a cruise and going places. We're going to talk about this latest one. How did you feel when I came home from work and I, Mentioned that I just off the cuff just decided to book a summer vacation cruise. That was cool. It was cool. Were you pretty excited? Yeah. Yes. Because I like the fantasy. It's a beautiful ship. It's been a long time since we've been on the fantasy. It's been since March of 2014. So that was pretty exciting, right? Yeah. 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 So cute. Little, little voice. All right, Scott. So after you pick your cruise... And you book your cruise. What what comes next? You start planning for what you're going to do. Yeah. I mean, are you going on a cruise to just relax and lay around the pool or the beach? Or are you going out and exploring the ports of call? Well, I will add in that really quick before we... Before I actually booked and paid for this cruise... I did check with our pet and house sitter to make sure she was available because normally I'm able to tell her, you know, months in advance to kind of plan. But I did have to make sure that 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 was. Oh, excuse me, that that was an option because we we have cats. She just comes. She stays here. She picks the mail up for us. So it's for some of you, that's those are things to kind of also put into consideration. If you're taking your kids, if you're leaving your kids home, do you have a sitter? Do you, you know, are you going to board your pets? Are you going to have somebody come watch them at your house? You know, that all, for me, that all goes into planning for the Disney cruise as well. The next phase of your cruise pre-planning would be, what are you going to do on your cruise? I mean, what are you going to, what are your plans for, say, your sea days? What are your port plans? You know, kind of checking those things out. Are you winging it? Are you? Yeah. 
basically, I'll give you guys an example of this. There was a cruise on the fantasy that was a Western in 2012 that Scott and Isabel and I went on. And uh, Isabel and I only got off the ship for a few hours in Grand Cayman. We stayed on the ship at Costa Maya. We stayed on the ship in Cozumel. Um, I essentially watched Funnel Vision movies while Isabel uh, played in the pools. And, of course, I watched Isabel. Scott did go uh, on land to do some work. But that was an example of a cruise where, you know, we had been to the Western a couple times before that, the Western ports. So that was essentially billed for us as a relaxing, no plans, nothing to do cruise. Um, the other side of that is our Southern Caribbean cruise where we had something booked in every single port, whether it had been on our own or a Disney excursion. So Scott's right. You have to sit down and think about what you're going to do. For this upcoming cruise, um, we actually sat down and talked about it together. We knew that we were going to um, St. Thomas slash St. John and Tortola. Tortola is a new port for us. Being that we booked so close to actually sailing, we just went ahead and booked a Disney excursion. And I say we, but I just booked it and then told the family about it later. If I wanted to, I could go and I could look at, you know, looking for a local group that could take us to snorkel, you know, the caves. But it was just easier at that moment to just go ahead and, and book it. So we did that. And then when we go to St. Thomas, we know that we're just going to, you know, kind of escape over to St. John. So beeline to Red Hook, beeline to Red Hook, get off the ship as soon as it's cleared by customs and go. So that was just a confirmation, you know, at dinner that night. Is this what you want to do? Isabel and Scott were like, yes, yes. Perfect. That's what we'll do. So those things go on with planning. I know that for the Southern Caribbean cruise, we did a lot more planning. We we all talked together. We looked for high points of what we wanted to do. We decided whether we were going to use a Disney excursion, whether we were going to book on our own. We did the same thing in Norway and Iceland. So, um, you know, Scott is definitely right. Make the decision on are you going to chill? Are you going to, you know, try to see as much as you can? Are you going to just walk around on your own? So... Those are all important things when you're planning for your cruise to decide what kind of vacation you're looking for. I think in the planning in the ports, it's if you if you're going with kids, I think the uh, end result is much better when you include the kids in the planning phase. You should. You definitely should include the kids. <laughs> I mean, it's it's much better when you include their input and make decisions on what you want to go see and do so everybody kind of gets a chance to you know everybody gets a chance to weigh in so you know it's fun for everyone instead of oh this is just mom and dad going on something they want to do and fit the kid in but you know that's just from our experience it's been much better when we've involved Isabel in the planning because she has fun Right? 
Yes. Yes? Yes. Because have we gone on some where we haven't asked you? I don't think so. All right. I couldn't remember. No, because when we went to even the Southern Caribbean, she was reading the tour books, too, if you remember, Scott. She was looking at the the different guides for the different Caribbean ports and letting us know what she thought would be cool or, you know, you don't want to, you know, being that the age that of your child you have to take into account, you don't want them to be stark bored the whole time. And, and I can tell you as an adult, I cannot get on the tour bus and sit in right away when the Disney excursion says, Board your air-conditioned tour bus for 45 minutes <laughs> to X. <laughs> I just go ahead and click to the next one because, you know, we decided, this is kind of a side note, but we decided in St. Lucia to go on a Disney excursion because we wanted to see these three key points. And that was actually my mistake because we should have snorkeled under the Pythons uh, we talked about as a family, not snorkeling every day, but who are we kidding? The Sanders family loves to snorkel. And <laughs> we we boarded that air-conditioned bus, and then, you know, you're at the place for, I don't know, what is it, Scott, like 10, 15 minutes? And then you boarded for another half an hour, and you spend so much time just just on a bus. And the local tour guides, I don't, I just don't feel like I'm on for those chunks of time, but I think that one, by the end, we were all just groaning because, you know, yeah. So take those, take those descriptions into consideration. You know, Disney makes it sound, they use their Disney speak. Port an air-conditioned bus for a scenic 45-minute, you know, drive to, yeah, that means. <laughs> They're not Disney buses. <laughs> It's not Magical Express. Right. That's right. So it's a local it's a local van. And sometimes that is the only way to coach. see things, but if you're going forty five minutes to one place and then it becomes, you know, ninety minutes to the next place and uh, you know, you have a young child who's five, good luck. Because if the adults can't sit still, how's the five year old gonna sit still? So these are all things to keep in mind in planning for your Disney cruise. I think I was seven then. Again, it was hard for your parents to sit still in their 30s. <laughs> I don't get motion sickness, and I was getting motion sickness. Yeah, the little kids were having a rough time. I believe I kissed dry land. Yeah. So we got back to the port. Important, uh, important aspect of planning for your Disney cruise. So, Scott, once we decide what we're doing on the cruise, what do we do next? Um, Pay. Yeah, we have to pay. Paying's the worst part. Really? Yeah, because you got to put your money into it. <laughs> I love the child who has never had to pay for something like this has to talk about paying. So, um, I'm out. As we mentioned earlier, 120 days in advance for the Platinum Cruisers. So if we want to do our online check-in and, and book things. Have a chance at a cabana. Right. You can't do anything until you're paid in full. And one thing that I found with this cruise, with the Florida resident rate, I think we booked 
maybe 57 or 54 days to sailing or something like that. He did it pay in full right away. So it wasn't make a deposit and then pay in full. <laughs> it, it was Disney Cruise Line saying, yeah, <laughs> we need it all right now. So Get a 1 100th percent off opening day prices. You know what? That's a very good thing, Scott. I'll have to go back and look and see what the opening day price was for this cruise because... I can tell you we saved a lot off the current rack rate, including the, um, you know, guarantee staterooms, but I'm not sure what it was for, for opening day. It's the fantasy, though, and the fantasy has just gone up exponentially, so I can't imagine that it was cheaper than, or, yeah, I can't imagine that opening day was cheaper. Let's find out for the fun of it. Using the touringplans.com Disney Cruise Line Fair Tracker, it looks like we saved about $1,700 with that Florida resident rate based on the opening day pricing for that itinerary for our uh, travel party and uh, stateroom category. I told you, the fantasy. I know, Scott, you like to refer to her as funny money. But during peak season, for spring break, the holidays, and summer, I mean those opening day prices are garnering quite a premium, a price premium. All right, so we paid, and I'm going to let Scott, he, he's done it for almost all of our, almost all of our cruises, but this was the first cruise that once we paid, I did online check-in, so that was kind of the cool thing that um, I came home from work and I told Scott that I asked him where he wanted to go for brunch on Father's Day. And he kind of looked at me because we're not big celebrators in the Sanders family. And I asked him if Apollo brunch was acceptable. And it still didn't quite sink in until I pulled out the cruise contract signature page and told him that, you know, his signature would be required. And then finally, it kind of clicked with Scott that, oh, Emily booked a cruise. So I did go through... Um, the online check-in process uh, and all of that good stuff, you know, the bookings. But Scott has done it for every cruise except for the very first one we took on our honeymoon in 2005 when there was no online check-in. So he can kind of guide you through the process and how that works. I mean, when you sit down to check-in, there's a couple of good things to have available. Except that we usually do it at midnight, and you're usually pretty cranky because you've had to stay up until midnight. Yes. If, <laughs> if you're, uh, it's a true story. If you're really press, hard-pressed to secure a specific reservation time or you know, there's something that would make or break your uh, trip. It, cabana. People it definitely, that want cabanas. It definitely uh, Increases your chances of getting what you want if you show up at midnight to log in when your uh, booking window opens. It doesn't also it doesn't always guarantee availability. However, it increases your chances of getting what you want. But a couple things to have available are your passport numbers if you're using a passport for each member of your travel party, as well as a uh, the credit card you want to use to put on your account beforehand. Having those items ahead of time will help going through the the uh, online check-in process because you go in, you 
more or less, it hasn't really changed. I will say that we've we've driven to the port. We've traveled. I mean, it's been a long time since we've actually flown into a destination and taken like a Disney transportation to a port. Uh, we normally just drive or fly in the day before and get local transportation. So, I mean, sometimes they'll ask you for your airline information that you can enter in there, uh, where you're going after the cruise, how you're getting there kind of thing. Uh, so if you have flight numbers available, make sure you have that to enter. Uh, so when you're logged in and you start the uh, online reservation check-in, one of the first things you have to do is kind of update and make sure all the guests uh, in your travel party information is correct. It'll include, uh, you know, the home address, the emergency contacts. Uh, you know, there are shortcuts to, you know, if you're traveling with five people in the same household, you can apply the same address to everybody. Uh, it's going to ask you if anyone in your travel party will be pregnant 24 weeks or more at the time of sailing. Uh, that's something you'll have to consider. Nope, not us. <laughs> Uh, there's an identification tab that you'd then go to. The identification tab will be where you'd enter your passport number or you'd tell it your photo or government ID. This is where you'd actually need your, in terms of a passport, where you'd enter your passport number and the expiration date for each person in the travel party. But if you don't have all of them, you can go through and add it later because for some reason... Isabel's was not saved, even though she's had a passport since 2012. Um, for some reason, it, it just wasn't saved. And at work, I didn't have her passport number, and I didn't want to call Scott and ask for it because then that would kind of give away the surprise. Why would I be asking for Isabel's passport number? So you can, if you don't have it, you can click through it and go ahead and add it later, which um, actually didn't do. I sent to the travel agent, and she did, and now it's on file. But... It's usually on file, but for some reason on this one, it wasn't. But just a side note um, to reiterate that you can go ahead and, and click through to the next step if you don't have everybody's. Uh, once you enter your uh, identification information, it, the next uh, part of the check-in process is your pre- and post-cruise stays. Pre- and post-cruise information, it'll ask you... If you're flying in before your cruise, and then it would you'd enter your uh, flight information. Then it wants to know what you're doing after your cruise. Are you going back to a hotel? Or are you driving home? Are you flying home? And uh, it's more specifically, how are you leaving port? Disney transfers, a car parked at the port or at the terminal, private transfers, or a rental car shuttle. Uh, it's just some more information that Disney's requesting. Okay, the next... Moving along in the check-in process, uh, Disney's going to ask you for your on. How are you going to manage your? Or how are you going to take care of your onboard account? Uh, who's the primary? It's going to ask you if, if you want to apply, put a credit card down. A if you're going to use cash or other payments. Robert or, Iger is paying for ours. Yeah, I don't know how that works. <laughs> We're going to try it next time. Or if you're going to. Charges are going to be paid by a different person in your travel party. 
Anyway, this is where you'd enter your credit card information, your card number, the expiration date, and all that good stuff. And it'll also be the spot where you can assign charging privileges to other members of your of your party. So this is where if, if you have kids in your travel party where you grant or deny them charging privileges on your uh, onboard account, which with the... Uh, New additions, like on the Disney Dream of Vanellope's Sweets and Treats, may not be such a good idea for those that don't have the good willpower. I always tell Scott, you know, my favorite word as a parent is no. So happily check no charging privileges next to Isabel's name. Not that I think that she would go and charge something at this point without asking us. But again, my favorite answer is no. So might as well click no. Um... One other thing to add, if you decide that you're going to settle in cash, you can choose that. Oftentimes when Scott has done this check-in at midnight and I'm fast asleep, he'll check cash because he doesn't feel like digging out the credit card and then go add it later. You can always change that at guest services. But Scott, isn't there a caveat about um, if you do cash, they'll only let you charge like to $500 before you have to go put money on it. There's something that says it on the online check-in. Yeah. We're, since we're already checked in, it's can't really change it to see what the uh, exact wording is. So I don't want to go and be yeah, others. There is, there is something about settling in cash. There's certain limitations they'll put on your accounts. Or they'll also charge your credit card once you reach a certain onboard threshold. Once you charge so much to your key to the world card or your uh, stateroom folio, they will charge it to your credit card. All right. The, the, the next uh, important thing, depending on how you're getting to the port, if you're taking a uh, Disney transfer, this doesn't really mean as much. But if you're, if you're finding your own way to the port, the port arrival time is important. If uh, for platinum and concierge cruisers, you can pretty much get there at any time you want, and after the port opens and check in, and you know get boarded based on when your check in time is. However, right, you don't have to choose a time if you're platinum no, or concierge. In, in fact, it says since you're a platinum or concierge guest, you are not required to select an arrival time. You may arrive any time during your embarkation hours and board the ship at your leisure after check in. However, if if you do uh, when you, however, for those that are not platinum or sailing or, uh, sailing in a concierge room, you'll be asked to pick a concierge. Or, I'm sorry. You will be asked to pick a port arrival time. Uh, it gives you like a window of what time it can, that you'll arrive at the port to go through the check-in process. It really helps to disperse the, uh, guests arriving at the port because of the drop-offs and the uh, the porters taking your luggage instead of just a big traffic jam at, say, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, you know. It, back in the day, people used to show up and there'd be lines out. And, you know, once they added port arrival times, it kind of helped spread, the, uh, spread everybody out a little bit. The next part of the onboard check-in process is kind of review, reviewing and printing a copy of your cruise contract. Uh, at this point, you can read through it. There's a very tiny little window that Disney allows you on the website to review the cruise contract. 
if you really want to read it, the best idea is to kind of click in the box, do a, do a select all, then paste it into Word or something to see it or click the uh, button to print the contract if you want to actually read through it all. But once you print this out, you'll then be sent to a, you'll then go to the signature form where, you know, the adult members of the party will sign and then the person that's essentially financially responsible back attached to the credit card or the uh, whatever terms of payment will then sign as well. That kind of concludes the uh, online check-in portion of it uh, before you get to reserving, you know, Port Adventures, adult dining spas, nursery times and all that stuff. There is one other kind of in-between part before reserving things and the online check-in that's kind of pre-signing up your children for the youth activity spaces. It's, I mean, it's been a long time since we've actually had to, I mean, it's been a while since I've actually gone through that, but basically you're signing your child up to go into their respective youth space and for the kids that are going in the Oceaneer Lab and Oceaneer Club you're signing a uh, check-in or I'm sorry you're entering your checkout password that you'd tell them at at the gate and if your child is eight years or older you can also grant them the check-in check-out privileges but that's to the discretion of the parent and you know, Scott and I waffled back and forth about this for a while, but I will say um, Isabel is a very responsible child, yes, and we tested her when we were on our cruise to Norway. So we said, check out at 8.30 and meet us, he, you know, at, and we just set a spot. And she has, you know, she's able to tell time in there. She's able to... I will say that it's it's not easy for them to tell time because they don't have clocks in the... But you can always ask a counselor. But, mm-hmm. you know, you'd have to send them... We sent Isabel with a, with a wristwatch. Yeah, we sent her with a watch. So it's... Or just so you know, if you're, if you're sending your uh, child into the Ocean Air Club or Ocean Air Lab and you're telling them to meet you at this at a specific time someplace else, you're going to have to give them something. Or the way phone. Make, make yeah. sure a watch or a way phone or some way to tell time on their own or, you know, have them constantly check with the youth activities counselor what time it is because from I don't believe there I've noticed any actual clocks within the club. I mean, if you look really closely... Because they have iPads in there. I mean, if you just look, because they're mostly clogged up well, with people, if you look over their shoulder, you may be able to see the time. Or if there's nobody on there, just click the button in. And but you were asking counselors and wearing a watch. Yeah. You're also assuming those computers and iPads throughout the uh, spaces are set to the ship time. Which, they are. Well, it well, could change throughout the course of the itinerary. Like it did in Norway and Iceland, we were constantly... Those may not be updated. Right. I mean, we can talk about, you know, checking in, checking out certainly has advantages and disadvantages, but so far for us, it's definitely had advantages because, you know, for example, if we're going to Apollo, we're getting ready. 
Isabel, go ahead and go check yourself into the kids club. And she goes, you know, or, you know, check, check yourself out at such and such and meet us at the movie theater. You know, it's, it's been pretty good for us so far and we haven't done it at all in ports. It's just been on C days and, you know, so yes, you, you, those are things to take in consideration. The next part of uh, when you go on and to check in for your cruise, once you've checked in, once you've would be reserving or signing up for port, selecting your port adventures, your adult dining at Remy uh, and or Apollo, depending on which ship you're on. It's also the point where you can kind of reserve some time in Flounder's Reef Nursery on the Disney Wonder or It's a Small World Nursery on the rest of the ships. Let's just say once the wonder gets redone, I am almost certain I can say without a shadow of a doubt, it'll also be changed. It's a small world nursery just for convenience. Regardless, this is something you can reserve some time. And it's also a time to book some spot if you'd like to book some spa treatments. However... You might have some better luck or pricing if you book on board, unless there's something you really, really want to do and you don't want to be uh, blocked out. So for us, we've actually never booked or done any sort of spa treatment. Um, I do notice in the navigators, particularly on port days, they'll run specials. Um, So if you're not tied down to you know, a certain date or time, I mean, some people are, then you're better off kind of glancing at those deals because they do definitely run, you know, some better deals on those port days. Uh, Usually on the back page, uh, excuse me. (sighs) (sighs) Right. Usually on the back page of the navigators where they'll advertise the um, special for the next day. Um, So, since I booked our latest cruise and did the online check-in, um, I did, going against um, the Sanders fashion, I did book one Disney Cruise Line excursion in Tortola. And the reason why I did that was because it seemed like it was um, minorly reasonably priced. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> I guarantee we probably could have booked it on our own for half the cost. But um, with the time constraints and really not having the time to, you know, search things out and also not having a group to do to look for group pricing, because usually these folks like you to have, you know, 10 or more people. Um, I just went ahead and and grabbed a Disney excursion. Certainly I can cancel it, uh, you know, before the cruise if we want to. So I booked that for the three of us. Um, Incidentally, all three of us are the same price. Isabel is nine. But there was no separate child price for this excursion. Then I went ahead and went over to adult dining. Um, being that we are platinum, we get uh, complimentary Apollo. So uh, Scott prefers brunch because he can get his chicken parmesan and he likes the peach almond souffle. So I thought that booking Apollo brunch for Father's Day would be awesome. Now they only had 10 o'clock available since we were so close to sailing. So I went ahead and booked it, and we'll probably try to move that when we get on board, um, as that's usually the same date and time you know, as the Castaway Club reception is usually at 1030. So 
but we do have it booked. Um, and then being that we, when we're on the dream and the fantasy, we try to kind of actually get as much Remy in as possible um, because we really enjoy Remy. We enjoy the experience there. Um, so I went ahead and uh, booked Remy dinner for Pirate Night because we enjoy, you know, hanging out in Remy um, and enjoying that dinner during that time. And then uh, this time, instead of booking the Remy brunch, because you are allowed one brunch and one dinner um, beforehand, certainly when you're at the restaurant, you know, if you enjoyed dinner so much and you want to come back again and there's availability, they'll let you or they'll put you on a wait list. But in the beginning, you can go ahead and book one brunch or one dinner. Decided that instead of doing um, a Remy champagne brunch, which we've done several times on both the dream and the fantasy, we're going to um, go ahead and, and give the dessert experience a try. So I, uh, I went ahead and grabbed a reservation for that. That is only offered on the Thursday sea day at 3.30, so you don't really have much of a choice. Um, you know, and again, you can always cancel it if you, if you change your mind. So, um, for a recap, you can book one brunch, one dinner per each adult restaurant. Um, so I went ahead and, and grabbed those, you know, food is very subjective. So everybody likes different things. And Scott and I definitely prefer the experience that, that we get in Remy. Um, when we're on the classic ships, you know, there's Palo, but there's no Remy. So when we're on the Dream Class ships, we like to go ahead and, and get our, our time in there. Scott, anything to add about, about those things? No. And Isabel, she doesn't really care because <laughs> <laughs> she's happy to be in the kids club. So yes, I am. Um, and, yes, you know, being I that, am. that she's the age that she's at, she can... She can come back to the room and watch a movie if she wants, right, Izzy? Yeah. Yeah, if there's nothing to do because it's really fun. Right. You you really enjoy the kids' club, so. Yeah, so that was the, that's the online check-in part and the reservation portion of it. Okay, once you're all checked in, you've got your things booked, you've already... Plan things out. Gotta know what you're doing. One of the other things to do is, how are you going to get to the terminal? How are you going to get to the port? Are you driving? Are you need to park? Are you renting a car? Are you flying and getting a transfer? All these things to consider, depending on where you're coming from and which uh, you know home port you're sailing out of. If you're uh, if you're doing one of the land and sea pack, one of the land and sea kind of vacations at Disney World and you're doing the Disney transportation, it's kind of pretty straightforward. You fly into Orlando International Airport, you take, you know, Disney transportation either, you know, you know, to the port or to the hotel and then from the hotel to the port and then to the airport, whatever combination of stay you've got going on. If you're, uh, I don't know, flying, say, to... You know, Miami, Galveston, San Diego, Vancouver, you're, you know, working on a transfer if avail if Disney's offering that at that uh, reg or regional home port. 
Uh, are you taking local transportation and getting there? These are all things you need to really take a look at. Uh, for the most part, you know, sailing out of Port Canaveral, we're always driving to Port Canaveral. So we're always looking, you know, we always have to take in consideration parking our car at Port Canaveral. Um, I'll be honest with you, the convenience is so high of parking right at Port Canaveral. I will admit this is one of those things I'd, you know, I personally like to splurge on because there are cheaper alternatives, which we've, I've touched on in the past on the website, uh, you know, parking at like offsite, offsite parking lots around, uh, Cape Canaveral, uh, and getting shuttled over or renting a car and driving there and dropping off the rental. These are all options. However, I really like parking at Port Canaveral. Um, they know they've last year and a half, two years, they've offered prepaying for parking at Port Canaveral. So you can pay online well before, uh, and just take like a printed out voucher. I mean, I personally like it because I can park, you know, what is it? What'd you say? A hundred feet away from the, uh, security gate before the cruise. It's not much of a big deal, but you know, it's kind of like at the end of the cruise when you're done and you're getting off the ship and it's time to kind of go back to reality. It's just kind of nice to be able to walk, you know, five minutes from the terminal right to your car and be on your way. Uh, rather than having to wait for a transfer to a different parking lot, you know, to each his own, obviously. However, this is something I just like to, you know, be in my own car within, you know, five minutes and be on the road and heading home. Uh, I mean, I prefer that. And unless, you know, there's really some great options, I'll probably continue to do that even at the price Port Canaveral charges per day. Port Canaveral's interesting on how they charge for parking. They charge per day. So in the case of a seven-night cruise, you are paying for eight full days. When in reality, you're not even in the lot for seven full days based on a 24-hour clock. That's just the way it is. It's the way the port's been charging for a few years now. and But that's just something to keep in mind when you're doing the budget and planning for where you want to park. I mean... It's not that expensive. I know a lot of people, you know, I know a lot of people choose the off-site places and they're happy with it and I've seen other people you know there's some hotels in the uh Canaveral area that in Merritt Island that offer transportation uh there are many options you have especially out of Port Canaveral to get to the port uh I know when we've sailed out of Miami we uh drove to Miami and we stayed at a hotel that offered secured parking they offered a uh, free, was it a included tram ride, Emily? I mean, not a tram ride, but a van ride over to the port. The shuttle, yes. It, they got you there, but not back. So, yeah, you, so got, you got a shuttle there, and then you, we had to take a taxi back. But that, w- that was fine. It ended up being cheaper than what it would have been, including the taxi, than paying for parking at uh, the port of Miami. However, you know, this is just one of those cases we needed a place to stay before the cruise so we found this and it worked out better 
if we were driving there the day of, we might have probably can we might have considered actually parking at the port. It's a, really it all comes down to how you're traveling to and from before and after your cruise on what works best for you and after you look at all the options available. But I guess the biggest takeaway is there are uh, quite a number of options and, you know, what I prefer may not be the best for you, but it's, it's worthwhile checking them all out before making final decisions. The other big uh, preparing for your cruise comes down to packing for your cruise. Um, I think that Obviously, that's going to be dependent on the type of itinerary, whether you're going to Alaska, whether you're going to Europe, or you're going to the Caribbean, and in between. However, I think that the whole idea of packing for a cruise, I think, warrants its own dedicated podcast episode. So we'll kind of talk about that at a later time. I Actually, Scott, I think we'll talk about that soon because we will have to be packing for our cruise um, in less than a month, so... Oh. Be looking, <laughs> be looking for that podcast <laughs> coming up. You know, Spo- in one of the next few weeks. Spoiler alert! I dislike packing. I love packing. It's so much fun. Scott, spoiler alert! What I was your favorite vacation you packed for? I already know the answer to this. Old Key West. No. Well, I'm pretty sure it was St. John because all we did was oh. put bathing suits and swim trunks in it. Oh, yeah. The only thing I easy. don't like is unpacking. Yeah, unpacking. We covered a lot of the main topics for preparing for your cruise. Uh, we're going to turn it over to Isabel to go over some of the questions we received on Twitter over the past couple of days. Isabel? So Michael Scopa wants to know... Can you have the DCL bus transportation pick you up at any resort? It's been since, what, 2005 since we've used uh, the Disney transportation to go from a resort to the Port Canaveral. So admittedly, we did not know the obvious answer, but we wanted to check. And I did consult the unofficial guide to Disney Cruise Line. 2016 and the answer is yes the disney cruise line uh my magical express buses will pick you up at your any of the disney walt disney world resort locations and take you to port canaveral uh you know the buses might stop at one resort then go to the next and kind of fill up on a route but yes they will pick you up and in fact uh, a couple weeks ago when we went camping at Fort Wilderness. And by we, Scott means Scott. Yes. <laughs> With some friends, we uh, did see the uh, a Disney Cruise Line bus on Saturday morning with the uh, with a couple people getting on to go to the Disney Fantasy. So just of note, that trip one way is $35 per person. So of course, round trip, it's going to be $70. Um, Scott and I did do this for a honeymoon in 2005. We had him pick us up at the Caribbean beach and then afterwards take us back to the Caribbean beach. Um, cause we did a three night Bahamanian cruise on the wonder. And the other thing to note is when you're taking Disney transportation, you are not going to be the first people that are there at the port and not going to be the first people on the ship. 
I recall Scott and I getting there about 2 o'clock. And being that they start boarding between 11.30 and 12, um, you know, you, you feel like you kind of miss a lot. If you're not doing late dining, uh, you you want to kind of, you won't eat lunch because you want to be hungry for main dining. And, you know, there is are some some advantages and disadvantages, of course, to that. So keep keep that in mind. It, it's really even exaggerated when you're doing a, just a three-night cruise when you don't get there late on embarkation day you you almost feel like you lose a lot of time you know you'll lose off on the opportunity to eat lunch on the ship depending on say you have early dining you only you don't get to the terminal until two o'clock by the time you get checked in maybe 2 30 on the ship and you know it's almost time for the sailway party and all that kind of stuff you kind of miss out on some of the uh time to walk around the ship and all that. Signing up for things, dining changes, tasting, some of those things that could possibly fill up. So um, I'm not discouraging the, um, you know, Disney transportation. Just those are things that you have to think about, right? Correct. The uh, scheduling is a little out of your control. Okay. So Heath and Matt Doyle um, ask similar questions. Um, regarding getting to the port. port. Um, Heath is asking about Disney Motor Coach, which we just talked about. Um, you know, there's the rental car option, which you can rent the car and then park at the port. Um, there's the limo and, um, you know, versus Port Canaveral and other ports. And Matt is asking the same thing, economical ways to get from Port Canaveral from OIA and options not to leave your car for seven days and pay the terminal fees. Um, so guys, this is something that we are not familiar with. So I think this is a good question for us to, or Scott to go ahead and and pose on Twitter or on the blog. Um, because, you know, we, for Port Canaveral, you know, as we said in the, in the post, we have done the motor coach once, but we just drive to the port and park at the port. Now we have friends of ours that always do one of the offsite parking that's, you know, six ninety five or seven ninety five a day, um, which is, you know, ha- you know, half the price of Port Canaveral. Um, we know people that have done the limo service. So Heath and, and Matt, we will we will definitely pose those to our readers because I know that that those questions are important to you guys and just because we don't know the answer you know, doesn't mean that someone else, of course they do. So, um, Heath, you did mention Port Canaveral versus other ports. So we kind of mentioned what we did at Miami. We, we did a, I want to say it was a Hampton Inn and it was, it was excellent because we, we stayed, we checked in, there was a Publix across the street. Um, so we could grab some, some beer and wine to take on the cruise. The hotel had a breakfast in the morning and then we actually parked in a secured parking garage and the hotel stay, um, which included our parking for our, you know, we did a two night and then a five night. So seven nights was actually cheaper than parking at the port of Miami. And it was a secured parking garage. So, um, that we'll tell you about that port and that, that takes care of it for us. Um, you know, we flew into San Juan for our southern cruise where we stayed at a hotel uh, for one night and we just took a taxi to the port. We flew into Copenhagen where we took a taxi. We stayed a night 
and took a taxi to the port. Um, and then, of course, took taxis, you know, or had transportation on the way back. So as far as the other ports go, you know, Scott will pose that to the readers for you guys so that you you have an answer. Uh, I, I would say that, you know, just if I were planning for a cruise that's embarking out of a uh, port that's, you know, relatively close to the airport, I would probably look into like local transportation options, taxis, Uber, uh, you know, group shuttle, like super shuttle kind of stuff, or, you know, just things like that. If, if you're flying in day of or flying out day of, to kind of just look at the local transportation options, I mean, just to make it easier. I mean, it's, if you can schedule something ahead of time, say like, you know, you can with like super shuttle or people, that's great because you haven't lined up for a specific window of opportunity. If you can, uh, you know, meet those time, those windows. Otherwise, you know, getting a taxi is relatively easy, especially from the airport to a desk to say the port, you know, airports are full of cab drivers ready to take you in different size vehicles, depending on how much luggage you have. I mean, Uber is a great option. However, you know, places like Orlando airport where they're anti Uber because they're scared of, you know, mirrors has the monopoly going on. Uh, you know, there are ways to work around that, but it's not as easy to do when you have more luggage. Uh, but I think when you're, when you're cruise when you're flying in or flying out same day, you know, those quick, you know, you know, impromptu travel or, uh, options like cabs, Ubers are great ways to go just to you know, avoid having to do all the pre-planning and setting things up ahead of time. Just kind of go with the flow uh, if you're comfortable with winging it. Isabel. It's a good segue into our next question, Isabel. Um, Eddie wants to know, do you fly in the day before or morning off? When do you prefer to arrive at the port? When do I prefer? I think... I think we'd all be in agreement to say if you're flexible in your uh, vacation time or your travel time, I would always choose to arrive in the port, you know, within the area of the port uh, the day before, just so you're not in a rush, you know, worst case, if your flight gets delayed or your flight gets canceled, you still have that window of opportunity to still get to your embarkation destination airport. Uh, without missing the ship, so I th- and and weather is not the. I mean, most of you probably know this, but I actually didn't think of this for a long time because when we were going to San Juan and you don't have to be on the ship until nine p.m., I definitely toyed with um, flying in the same day. However, one of the things that changed our mind was also that we wanted more time in San Juan. And then the other thing was, you know, because I had said to Scott, we're flying from Orlando to San Juan. You know, you're going from blue skies to blue skies. But taking into consideration that what if your plane gets delayed for maintenance? I mean, it certainly does not have to be due to weather. And being that it was October and it's hurricane season, it's also pop-up storm season due to humidity. So... There's a lot of ground stops in Orlando just due to rain. 
or just a lot Heavy of lightning rains. or I mean, there's yeah, there's reasons all the time. So I am definitely in agreement um, with getting in the, the day before. I think that it is well worth it. Um, I know that that would that puts us all all at ease, especially with having a child. We don't want to be stressed and rushing around and then having the same thing happen to her. Um, you know, makes you nervous. And especially if you're going overseas. Isabel, what was the other part of the question? What time do you get to the port? Like, what time would you prefer? If you, uh, obviously, if you're taking Disney transportation, you go when you get there. Otherwise, it's best to follow your port arrival time. Uh, they, uh, they, uh, Port arrival time is tied to your boarding number. So, you know, let's say your port arrival time is 1230. Your boarding number might be boarding number 20. It's all predetermined. So you you choose a port arrival time at one. It's not the best idea to go against that and show up at noon. So you, you should follow when your port arrival time is. That being said, those of us that um, are platinum or if you're a concierge, you are kind of allowed to kind of roll in when you want. So maybe you are going on a seven night or longer cruise and you're fine with, you know, getting there not much before sail away. Um, Or, you know, I can say for us, we pretty much always try to get there and be one of the first ones to board the ship. That's something that Isabel likes, right, Isabel? Yep. Yeah. Yippee doo da. That's uh, right. You know, speaking just for Port Canaveral, you are given the. I mean, if you're there before boarding begins, the whole area, you know, the terminal begins to fill up. You know, they start let they start announcing boarding groups to go on, and I would say they go fairly quickly. You know, once the kind of the one group goes through, they call the next group, they call the next group. So, I mean, it will progress to, you know, pretty much open boarding, open boarding uh, sooner than later. But I don't know what time that begins to you. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we've... never we've, been there that late. You know, just the way we travel, we're always in the beginning of the boarding, so we haven't spent time in the port to kind of see how long it takes to, you know, get through the different boarding groups. Definitely by the time the Disney buses get there, they have been on to open boarding, though. They're not calling numbers at that point. All right, Isabel, next question. Theme Park Beer Drinker wants to know. Hi, Dave. Hey, Dave. Hello. Anyway... How badly is sunscreen needed? How much should you bring? Well, Dave, um, we will happily address this in more detail when we talk about packing for our cruise because Scott and Isabel can both tell you that I take a storage size or a gallon size Ziploc bag full of multiple sunscreens. However, sunscreen is needed badly. No sunburns. Uh, no sunburns. Isabel is nine, and she has, knock on wood, never been sunburned due to my sunscreen diligence. 
Um, you're in the Caribbean, so your sun is similar to what it is here in Florida. Um, but I will tell you that one thing that Scott and I notice all the time, Isabel as well, same things we notice at the theme park, you get sunburned on that first or second day, you're feeling like crap the rest of the cruise. So it is um, definitely better to bring it and prepare. The other thing is that spray sunscreen, it's best applied to your hand and then put on your body so that you don't miss any areas. Uh, I have seen some pretty fun sunburns on Scott where he has sprayed his own back and there have been some Zorro zigzags um, (laughs) because he didn't want to, quote unquote, bother anyone in his family to help him. And he has had some awesomely red zigzags on his back. Scott, you remember those? I don't know what you're talking about. Right. The other thing, of course, is I see parents... um, that they have their kids on the pool deck and they're applying sunscreen. So it's important to actually do that 30-minute sunscreen um, application before you leave, uh, 30 minutes before you leave your room. So for us, if I know that we're going to the pool or we're going on an excursion, that is something that we put on, um, or at least myself and Isabel, because sometimes Scott does like to do his own thing. Um, We will do it before we go to breakfast so that we have time to kind of let it settle and then the second most important thing is the reapply reapplication process and i prefer a product by neutrogena called wet skin um i like the kids version because the spf is 70 even though you know they tell you you really only need uh, an spf of you know 30 or 45 Uh, depends on who you listen to but um i happen to like this wet skin because it goes on you when your skin is wet. So Isabel can be playing in the pool and I'll tell her it's time to re-up. She runs out, she gets re-upped and she goes back in and it and it even works on a wet body. So I use that uh, exclusively for reapplication um, for all of us. Another product I like is also by Neutrogena, which is called Beach Defense. And that one is really cool because you can have sand on you, you can have, and you can use that. So, um, Yes, Dave, very important. Please use the sunscreen and, um, you know, you'll be miserable without it. And so will the children. So um, we always, Isabel always has to put extra on her nose too because, you know, you sweat it off of your face a lot. So I will go into more details for those of you that care about the Sanders family sunscreen Um but I do have certain things that I use for for certain places. Um, when we went to Norway, st- still had the sunscreen in my facial moisturizer. So even though we were in Norway. You know. Do we have to wear sunscreen in Alaska? <laughs> this is I, I will have it on my face. Oh. I'll have it on my nose. So, you know, granted, we were in the Southern Caribbean. I mean, you go through, if you're reapplying the way you're supposed to, you go through a lot. Isabel, what is our next question? Would you bring Press Penny? It is very important. Press Penny money. Who is this? Who asked that question? Derek Bergen. <laughs> yes, if, you, if you're going out of Port Canaveral, there is a Press Penny machine that offers six different designs. One for each of the cruise ships. There's one for Castaway Key, and there's one general Disney Cruise Line design. And if you're really lucky, both machines of three designs will be in operation. 
if you'd like to see uh, kind of what we're talking about, I'll include a, a link to one of the blog posts we did on this with including there. We have a video of the uh, different coin designs. So, yes, and if you're going, uh, definitely inquire with Derek Bergen because uh, I'm sure he'd like some more for his collection. Also take extra in case that you get a misprint. So if it is off and the printing isn't right on your penny, you're going to and you really want it, you want to make sure that you, you know, have that extra 51 cents there. It's a good little souvenir to bring back for a friend too. Isabel, our next question. It's not from Derek Bergen. Mr. Bayard? I hope I said that right. Has a child with a tree nut allergy. How limited will she be? Not looking to torture her for three days with only chicken strips and pizza. Wow, Isabel, would you consider pizza for three days torture? No. <laughs> I love pizza. Um, if you make sure when you're doing your online check-in, there is a space that you can go add um, special needs or allergies. I clicked on that one just to kind of look and see what they were when I did online check-in. Scott has a shellfish allergy. I, I didn't check it or but but there are boxes that you can that you can add and let your servers know things like that the other thing is is that since your serving team travels with you to all of the restaurants um, that's something that you'll tell them on the first night and they'll let you know what can and can't be ordered and do not be afraid to order off the adult menu um, Isabel has actually in all of her cruises she started cruising at three and a half she's now nine um, she has ordered off the child's menu one time and, um, it was a lunch entree, which she didn't end up liking, but that's besides the point. She orders off the adult menu every time. So if they're an adventurous eater, or even if they're not, this is a good time for them to try things. And the, the serving teams will definitely, definitely take care of that. I can say that in all, all of our cruises, I have noticed there are very few things that have nuts on them. Um, I'm a big peanut butter chocolate fan. And, you know, I've noticed that, you know, there are are a lot of, you can't find it very, very many places on the ship. So I think that they're very careful when it comes to at least a nut allergy. And then, you know, on the other places on the ship, such as Cabanas, which offers breakfast and lunch, um, definitely mention it to them. They'll they'll certainly let you know. They are they're great with it. They are they're they don't have an attitude. They're not nasty. They're they're absolutely happy to help you. So they will not just have to eat chicken strips and pizza. Although I will tell you that Scott would consider that um, an awesome vacation for him. Depending on the allergy needs for your uh, situation, I mean, if you have your travel, if you're booking with a travel agent, you have them contact, or if you feel better just calling Disney Cruise Line on your own to kind of discuss your dietary needs for uh, your, you know, during the time when you're cruising uh, in case they need to, you know, prepare to have special items on hand, you know, specific kind of like milks or, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's always good to give more lead time to uh, Disney to prepare for any specific needs you have. Or just to call ahead and make sure they're able to accommodate uh, any of your dietary or allergy needs. Um, you know, kind of like anything else, it doesn't hurt to, you know, 
really over plan and plan ahead on this kind of thing just to make sure you don't you have a seamless process and just with the allergy i mean just with the uh, shellfish allergy uh the servers have always been i mean i've tried to just avoid mentioning it but i've gotten in trouble i've gotten scolded by the uh, servers and i understand that you know how much effort they put in and how much the uh, kitchens put into respecting the different needs of the guests on board so definitely let them know they're more than happy to accommodate you know bend over backwards have the chefs come out and talk to you uh you know in the main dining rooms or any special needs and remy or paulo the chef or your server will you know pass along or come out the chef will come out and talk to you and even if there's something going on you're not sure in cabanas there's somebody available you know to uh discuss you know there's always a chef on hand to uh help work through any needs that you might have like at breakfast at cabanas or anything like that just to make sure everything's good one of the things that does kind of crack me up though is when the chef comes out and talks to scott and tells him not to order scallops (laughs) so it's not it's different if you know he wanted to order sea bass and there was a you know, a shrimp sauce on it. But when they come out and say, you know, you know, don't order the the scallops or the lobster macaroni and cheese, that always kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because the guy has a shellfish allergy. He's not going to order shellfish. It, it is funny, however. It just goes to show how serious they take allergy needs for their for their guests. And the same, you know, really the same goes if you're not familiar and you have allergy issues. The same kind of level of you know, care is taken at Walt Disney World. As long as you let them know what is going on, they'll uh, they'll really bend over backwards to accommodate you. Sounds good, Isabel. Next question. Andrew Waghorn wants to know: Should you do online check-in? Absolutely, it makes the process. I mean, I don't think we've ever not. I mean, maybe. I'll, before it was offered in 2005. And I I can't remember back far enough to tell you how we checked in for that cruise. Um, Something tells me that we did it at the resort because we were staying at the resort. But um, you you started with the online check-in and it's... I mean, with online check-in, you're more or less just taking that signature confirmation page that you get at the end of the online check-in, signed up to the counter and presenting that along with your... uh, government issue IDs or passports, whatever, you know, uh, identification documentation you're using to cruise with. Uh, They look at it, they take it, they process it, and you're done. Uh, I can only imagine if you haven't done any of that, you're kind of just up there giving all your information. They're going to have to enter your passport, your doc, you know, your government IDs, birth certificates and kind of things. You know, if you think about it, probably – you entering it online may take you 10 minutes, you know, having to do it in port, depending on the travel, your travels of party size could just take longer having to pass it off and, you know, relay that information to the cast member working at the check-in. So, you know, I can't really think of any reason not to do online check-in especially if your end goal is to get on the ship as fast as possible once you get to the terminal. 
Are there any other questions, Isabel? Four more. Okay. So Barbara Holden wants to know, in the check-in process on the DCL website, how you you research your excursions, um, is it easier to do it on DCL, private, or on your own? I mean, there's one thing about you know, researching excursions on the, you know, inside the uh, check-in, you know, logged in specific to your cruise, uh, is that they give you the times of the excursion, which aren't available like when you're just looking at Disney Cruise Line's website for, for, for Port Adventures. You have no idea what time. I mean, say you're in a port from let's just say 8 o'clock to 6 p.m. When you look at Disney Cruise Line's website for Port Adventures for that specific port, it does not say what time that specific Port Adventure is. It it will tell you, okay, this Port Adventure is maybe like three and a half hours, but it doesn't say, you know, there's times where it might be offered at two or three different departure times. You know, you could sign up for a noon, you can sign up for a 9 a.m. or 3 p.m., you know. Exactly, Scott. I'm just going to just add here that that happened with our excursion to Tortola. So there were two choices. There was an 8 p.m. and there was a noon. Now, being that the Sanders family are early birds, I chose the 8 a.m. because I know that we can get out. We can get done in our excursion. We'll be back by lunchtime. We can. I feel that that's a perfect time to eat lunch in Tortola and then walk around the port area before we get back on the ship. The other um, time was noon. So, you know, maybe some people would like to to have a leisurely morning, get off the ship, walk around, and then go do the excursion. So I wasn't aware of that, exactly what Scott said. No idea what time that, or if there would be even two times offered, because there are some that are only offered once. So like the excursion to Trunk Bay in St. John, which, you know, we don't do anymore. We did it one time, but there's only one departure time, so... It makes sense for Disney Cruise Line not to publish on their, you know, their main website what times the excursions are, because it all depends on, you know, the individual sailing of the ship. You know, you might visit Tortola on one specific day for the Fantasy, but you're visiting on a different day for the Magic or what have you, you know, and they're all coordinated with third or uh, contracted. Uh, tour operators in each port so their schedules might be different anyway it it wouldn't make sense for disney to show you know these are the times or possible times on their main website but once you are logged in for your specific cruise then it'll show you the times that are available because then they can you know that's more of a scheduled item specific to your actual sailing that they can tie you to um but it's that's something to really consider because if you know you have a full day there and say you want to just kind of walk around the uh, port area and check out what you know do some window shopping do some shopping at before or after your excursion you kind of can plan your day a little bit better or you know say there are points of interest you can you know tell beforehand that you can walk to from the port but you also might want to take a port adventure to a little further place that inqu- that requires transportation or, you know, a boat. There's that 90-minute air-conditioned bus ride. 
Oh, that that means it's a long time on a windy road, up and down, and <laughs> hills and mountains. It's not fun. But Isabel, didn't she ask about um, whether what was the question? Wasn't there something about ports on your own, or what was it? Why did you delete it? You can't it? delete it till we're done. Go into the deleted items. Okay, we'll just say, you know, for the other part of that, uh, do you do do you do things on your own or do you do Disney? It's it's. I mean, we've mentioned this on our previous podcast when we talk about the ports. It's ultimately what you feel comfortable with. There's a tremendous uh, safety net when going with Disney Cruise Line Port Adventures, the ship's not going to leave you. Or in the very, very, very unlikely event that it does, they will take care of getting you back on the ship, all expenses paid. At the next port. They did do that or, in, the, in the Mediterranean. You know, take a, you know, take a little smaller boat out to the ship kind of thing, depending on your how the ship's traveling. Regardless, if you're with a Disney Cruise... Port Adventure, you never have to worry about missing the ship or not being able to get back on or having to foot the bill to get yourself to the next port to get back on. Going on about your own, you incur a lot more risk because if you don't get back, it's on your own to uh, get to the next port or, you know, you're financially liable to get yourself back on the ship or back home, whatever your situation may be Disney's not going to bend over backwards to help you out because you and, know and they're mad at you. And, yeah. They'll be mad at you. But, but all that being said, so that's Scott's blog disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> um, we much prefer, and I would go with an 85 to 90% going out on our own. Um, we did most of the Southern Caribbean that way. We usually do Eastern Western Caribbean that way. Um, we did Norway and Iceland that way um, for this cruise coming up. We we are very comfortable being that we stayed on St. John for 10 days. We're very comfortable going out to St. John on our own. We know how to, you know, get off the ship, taxi to Red Hook, take the ferry over, um, taxi to the beach we want to go to, taxi back, get back onto the ferry, and then taxi back to Charlotte Amalie. So, we're cool with that. We know how to do it in the time constraints that so we can do it. We know what time we want the taxi to come pick us up at the beach so we can still go to the places we like in Cruise Bay and, and Scott can go to St. John Brewery and we Isabel and I can enjoy the ice cream at St. John Scoops and, and we're good with all of that. So you have to be comfortable with that. And I can tell you that when we first started doing this, Scott was nervous. Scott was very nervous. I didn't want to get left behind. It took him a couple to get comfortable. Um, What we did was we we booked in groups. Mm -hmm. So Scott felt more comfortable safety in numbers. So we we booked we booked in groups. Um, If you're yeah, if you're cruising with friends, or you know you meet people say on disboards, Facebook groups, uh, you know travel agents, travel agents groups, you know whatever you're doing, there's tons of different ways to find other people on your sailings. Uh, you know, safety and numbers kind of thing. And the cost comes down as well yeah. because it doesn't but. become a private excursion. Um, you know, we did that in the Southern Caribbean into mm-hmm. St. John and, and several places before. So it all comes down to what you're really comfortable with and what you're, you know, 
willing to risk. And and also to maybe how well you know the area. And I, and I think oh, definitely. that I keep speaking to St. John because we're most familiar with that. But since we, I mean, we know that island very well now, so we know the nuances and how long it takes to get to point A to point B. And, and same thing with St. Thomas. We know when the traffic comes in and, and so on and so forth. So if you become well-versed with those different ports, I feel that way with Grand Cayman, Grand Cayman, you have to take the time to factor in the tendering and, you know, where you want to go, things like that. You know, you're, you're able to do it. So, you know, another thing with like, uh, kind of going on your own or going with a, an excursion too, whether it be just going out and exploring the port on your own, you know, via foot or getting little taxis around. If if you look at the port of call that you're going to, and there's a lot to see and do right in that port, general port area. I mean, old San Juan, if you're going to San Juan as a port of call there, you could basically spend all day just walking. I mean, we kind of did. We did. We, we did there's, spend all day. Doing you could that. walk around old San Juan, eat, go see, play, you know, the forts without needing to rely on any transportation or tours specifically. And that just comes down to knowing the more you research that port of call, the more that you can find that, is it a walkable port of call? Is it something you need? You know, is it like Costa Maya? I mean, they don't, Disney's not sailing in anymore, but this is a, you know, great example because Costa Maya was a developed cruise port where there was bars and some shopping. But other than that, it was a, you know, commercial area, commercial port, where outside that commercial little port area was nothing. You had to drive someplace or get, you know, transportation to, you know, say you wanted to go to ruins or you wanted to go to the beach or that kind of thing. It, it all depends, you know, you need to do your homework on the ports of call to see, you know, is this a port that there's stuff around the port that's walkable, doing on your own, you know, or is it something, or is it a port that everything's kind of like, you know, let's just say a half an hour away from the port you know, to do something entertaining or intriguing. Isabel, our next question comes from... Shillings? Okay. I don't know if I said that right. Previously, you suggested owning your own snorkel equipment. Any similar tips that hope you enjoy cruising, cruise excursions more? I, I'm going to jump in here. One of the things that I always bring is snacks. And... um I have brought, it's mostly some sort of protein-filled trail mix, whether it be, um, you know, if there's cashews, peanuts, dried fruits, granola bars, um, you know, Scott and Isabel can tell you I am one of those, I'm not an over-prepared mom, but I'm just one of those that I know my family. Scott can get hangry. Um, and so if we have, I make them have a protein filled breakfast and then, you know, after you do an hour or two or three of snorkeling, you've burned a ton of calories and protein filled snacks are important. And several of our cruises, I have found this interesting that I'll pass something over to Scott or Isabel and then there'll be like four or five other kids that kind of look at me with these puppy dog eyes and sure enough, and Scott and Isabel can attest to this, I'm feeding the kids that are either on the excursion with us or the, the private booking that we've booked. I, I, have, given, I have given people a, a lot of, 
of trail mix and snacks. And that's just something that a lot of people just don't think about or plan for. So um, boxes of cereal from Cabana's. You know, you can't take fruit back and forth off the ship, but but those are, are good things. The little peanut butter packets, if you can have nuts, um, the little peanut butter packets and a spoon are great. Isabel, is there anything else that you would say that we're prepared for other than our own snorkel equipment? You should bring a water bottle or water bottles filled with some water so you don't get dehydrated and get all cranky. Scott is right, um... You know, having our own snorkel equipment is great, mostly because we know our masks, we know they fit, we know our fins, we know they fit. You know, we we use them, we're comfortable with them. Um, Isabel has a vest that, you know, when she was younger, we needed to blow up to help kind of um, lengthen the amount of time that she could use to snorkel, because although she's a good swimmer, you know, when you're snorkeling for two hours, the little kid's going to get, get tired. So the vest kind of helped her, um, decrease the workload a little bit. So we all have our own, um, snorkels and masks and fins. And while it might be a little bit cumbersome to take with us, um, we still do. It's just one of the things that we plan into it, uh, along with a waterproof camera when Scott remembers to bring the charger. Okay, Isabel, next question. So Catherine... Is asking scenery, wildlife to look at on a cruise, especially Alaska. Well, Catherine, um, we'll have to get back to you on Alaska next year because we have not gone to Alaska yet. So I imagine that there will be some awesome birds um, and whales to look for. Um, In the Caribbean, you can often see dolphins. That's a very common thing. Dolphins will follow the ships in and out. and when we were in Norway and Iceland, word is you could see puffins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did not see those puffins, but some... Neither did the people on the excursion to see the puffins. <laughs> some people claim that they did see puffins. So, um, you know, sailing in and out of port is an amazing time to be out on your veranda or out on deck to kind of look for the wildlife. Um, and, you know, anytime that you're out at, at sea is, is another good time. So um, I, I'll get back to you on Alaska next year. Isabel, our last question. John Yaslas wants to know about any tips for an upcoming Magic Halloween cruise. John, I, I think it would be benefit to just come in and talk about the uh, Halloween on the high seas cruises in general. We've been on a handful of these sailings in the last few years and cruises typically have a uh, a dress up by halloween costume night uh depending on the itinerary it could be halloween costumes it could be halloween uh cruise casual and pirate depending obviously depending on the itinerary but there is a night they uh do like a costume contest there are activities in the atrium where they do a, uh, each of the cruise ships have their own, uh, unique Halloween tree. And it, like on the beginning of the cruise, they do a little ceremony where, you know, the uh, kids can come up and kind of plant seeds. And then throughout the course of the cruise, depending on the length of the cruise, the tree will come to life. And I'll kind of leave it at that just so we don't ruin the surprise that for anybody that's not, outwardly looking for the information 
Uh, there's there's special uh, screenings of uh, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. It's kind of an interactive show where they've got the in the Walt Disney Theater they do some they include some stage effects, lighting effects, and I mean there's a little something special at the end too, including a meet and greet. And candy. Uh, there's trick or treating opportunities on a given day throughout the ship. And depending on where you go, you can get more candy than you could possibly eat in a month. Uh, Happened to me. Yeah. Nobody came to the guy. In that case, if you're really looking for the candy, go find the candy distribution points that are uh, off the beaten path. And hidden. So like by the gift shops. Right. Don't tell anybody. This is a secret. We're not going to tell anybody? Okay. Uh, There's... Even some, uh, for the older kids, they do some activities. They were doing a, uh, create your own little video. They were doing some, like, shooting video, like a, kind of like a horror movie kind of thing with the uh, teens. There's a little dance party one night up on the pool deck. Kind of a, uh, a costume contest, if you will. I, I went in. What what other Halloween activities are there? Of note? There is when you're checking trick or treating, you can um you know the cup game where you put some under a cup. Mhm. I think I've done that before. Um. Definitely a toss. There was some sort of toss. Oh oh, they have a little game Halloween themed games in yeah. the atrium. And in the kids club there's like little crafts and games and yeah. things yeah there's a lot to do i mean it it, it could always change you know from year to it could always change from year to year uh you know if you're on the cruise definitely you know obviously check your personal navigators for the events in each day uh but there's a lot of halloween themed events on the longer itineraries like a seven night cruise there's not necessarily uh halloween specific activities on each day of the cruise for instance the like tree ceremonies the events in the atrium surrounding the uh, halloween story that they're telling don't actually occur there's not something every night maybe a couple nights of the cruise but not necessarily halloween activities every night so for those that might be sailing during like a halloween cruise it's not you're not beaten down with Halloween everywhere you look. Yeah, it's not intrusive at all. I think that does it for the questions today. That's about it for the podcast, too. I'd like to thank everybody for submitting their questions. Thank you for listening. You can connect with the show via the comments on the website, Twitter at the DCL blog, or give us a call at 321-765-3252 with questions, comments, or feedback.